Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we come to you now with expectant hearts. We are eager to hear your word. We pray that through your Holy Spirit, the public reading of scripture would strengthen our hearts and direct us in the way to go. We need help. May your word become alive in our hearts. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 31, the verses 7 to 13, on page 209 in your Pew Bible. Then, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord's word to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the, God, the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. This is the word of the Lord. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be on page 1183 in your Bibles. And then just the other side of 1184. We are finishing up our series this morning on who is Jesus. Uh, we have walked through a lot of details about the life of Jesus, about the character and, and nature of Jesus. And, and we hope, Andy and I, that this has given us tools and influenced how we understand Christ. How we live for Christ in our daily lives and also what, what we sort of give out into the world. And, and this morning we're going to continue to discuss that. Um, and so... We will go ahead and read verses 16 uh, to 23, I believe. Yeah, 16 to 23. Uh, and then next week, in going through Lent, we're going to continue to talk about Jesus and how he gives specific instructions to churches uh, in, the, in the early parts of the book of Revelation. And so we're not done talking about Jesus just yet. Uh, but uh, this morning, we get to talk about what Jesus does for all of us, what Andy presented in the children's sermon, how Jesus is our liberator. And so please follow along with me then, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, 
or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, and they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human conditions and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to go ahead and just get right into it. And... uh, I think, I think this is going to be fun. The Apostle Paul starts out in verse 16 using the word therefore. And as we know, it's difficult to start a passage with the word therefore because he's referencing something he just said, right? Um, the, the, the rule of thumb, if it says therefore in the Bible, it's there for a reason. You've all heard this before. And so you go back and you read about why he's saying this. And, and for those of you who were here last week, uh, you may remember that in verse 15... Paul has just said that Christ has disarmed all the powers of this world. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the cross and and, and the ascension, that Christ has dismantled the powers of this world. And so therefore, we should not let anyone judge us. Therefore, who can tell us what to do? And he mentions religious festivals, new moons, Sabbath days, and the things he's talking about here were, of course, things that Orthodox Jews celebrated and followed. Rules of what to eat, when to offer sacrifices, when to rest. Which can be fine, especially a Sabbath day. I recommend, if you don't have a Sabbath day, to have a Sabbath day or a Sabbath time. But we know that there was a struggle at this time between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews who were coming to Christ were asking the Gentiles to come to Christ to follow the same rules and and regulations that they did. And there was some disunity And so the Apostle Paul tells the church in Colossae, do not let anyone judge you based on what you may eat or don't eat, based on what you may do or don't do. He says that essentially, this is a theme throughout the New Testament, that there is none greater and none lesser. Under Christ, we are all equal. A lesson that many of us could probably still need a reminder in. But I also want to mention, too, that I've even heard people say that this gives license for us to sort of do whatever we want. (laughs) That's not the case. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later when we talk about what we learn from this passage and how to apply it to our lives. But he says in verse 17 that, that these things, these laws, these rules were simply a shadow of what was to come in Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you are philosophy fans. Uh, I tend to like reading philosophy. I'm sort of a glutton for punishment. And there's a famous philosophical principle that many of you probably heard of. Uh, It's Plato's allegory of the cave. 
right? Some of you are familiar with this? And it, I'll give you a brief description of it if you're not. Basically, what Plato had said is that, imagine that there's three men, and they're chained to a wall, and they're facing a wall of a cave. And now behind them, many things are happening. There's a fireplace, or there's light coming in, and, and many things are happening. But all these men ever see for the duration of their life is just shadows. The shadows of things happening around them, the reflection or the, the, the shadow of what is happening around them. And this is their entire life, is shadows. And one of these prisoners is freed, and when he gets out into the real world, he cannot grasp what real things are. He sees a flower, and he cannot grasp that the flower is the real thing, but that the shadow should be the real thing. And he's, he's wrestling through this: what is reality and what is not, what is a shadow and what is real. And, and as he goes around, he begins then to embrace the new world, and that it's actually there is a whole world behind shadows, and that is the reality. And he goes back then to convince these other people in the cave that there is this whole world out there and they say, no, you're a crazy person. Get out of here. That makes no sense. And to him, the shadows are now fuzzy again and he, he can't enter back into the world that he used to believe in. He used to be his whole world. And he can't make sense of reality. Now the philosopher talks about this story with, when talking about forms of nature and what is reality. And, and there's a lot of depth to this. But when I look at this passage, this was the first thing I thought of. You know, Plato and the Greeks loved talking about reality. It's quite clear, and it's, at least to me, that Paul uses these sorts of things all the time when talking about Christ to the early church. People that would be familiar with this. And he says, whether or not he was directly referencing this Greek idea or not, he says that, listen, we need to know what's real and what's not. That these common things religion uses, these common things that we try to make all people follow and all people obey are in fact a shadow of Christ. That the reality of this world, the reality of all of these things, the, the thing of paramount importance is Christ. See, the Jews were clinging to these traditions and trying to force the Gentiles into living into the law and trying to find unity. It just couldn't happen. And Paul is saying here that, listen, if you want to get over these judgments, if you want to get over where well, you must do this and you must do this, then the reality must be first and foremost Christ. So then, in verse 18, do not let anyone disqualify you. Because anyone who seeks to disqualify you if you seek to serve Christ has what he calls an unspiritual mind. And he talks about angels and, 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 and if you read through the New Testament, there's a lot of references to this in various letters and that there was a problem with false teachers rising up and talking about the worshiping of angels and that some were greater than others. And it was just creating division among the church. And what I want us to take, because you know, we don't necessarily worry about worshiping angels today. Um, that's not really a problem we're dealing with in our church. But are there those of us, do we sometimes have an attitude of an unspiritual mind that seeks for others to do what we want them to do? Because if we are like that, Paul says, if we are one who creates division rather than unity, then we are like someone who is disconnected. <laughs> Right? That we are like someone who is disconnected. Or to use Jesus' analogy in John 15, we are like a vine that is not connected to the branch of Christ. How long can that vine last? <laughs> like these flowers here, they're beautiful. 
But how long will they last? Remember that all of these things that we see and do in this life are simply a shadow that Christ has given us to point to him. The good things in life, the service, the worship, all of the things we desire come from Christ. And so Paul says then in verse 20, since we have died with Christ, why would we ever submit to the rules of this world? Why would we ever give all of our energy and all of our emotion and all of our being to things of this world? These are not from you, he says in 21 and 22, that these are based on human commands and teachings that are not from Christ, and they would make us disconnected if we cling to them too tightly. They would create division in Christ's church if we cling to them too tightly. And this division that happens when we cling to the world is not from God. And even though, and I love verse 23, he says, and even though this would seem wise, they would think of themselves as wise, those who create disunity. They lack any power in restraining sin. They lack any power in restraining sensual indulgences, is what he says. And think about that for your own life. Why are we here? I mean, we want to restrain the sin in our life. We want to get rid of the crap in our life. We want to get rid of the stuff that makes us feel like the dirt that God made us out of, but makes and, and add things into our life that makes us feel like children of God. We want to be free from sin and darkness. We want to find out what it means to live in the kingdom of God here and now. You know, think about this. What we are seeking with church and with being Christians and living this life, what we are seeking is to worship God in response to his sacrifice for us. That we might overcome the evil and sin of the word world for ourselves and for our neighbor through love and sacrifice. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to overcome the things that bring us down in this life. We're trying to worship God because of his sacrifice for us and share it with our neighbor. And if we are people who cling too tightly to the laws and regulations of this world that create disunity and division, we will not accomplish that goal. And when we look at the passage in Deuteronomy 31, we see very clearly that this was God's plan all along, that we would be unified. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is handing over the reins to Joshua to lead the people. And he says to them to be strong and courageous. And then get together. Whenever, every seven years, when all the nation gets together, publicly read the law. And not just for the Jews, but for the foreigners living among you. So that their children would grow up knowing who the Lord is as well. How wonderful is that? That God wants us to come together under the public ministry of the word, under the, the word that he has revealed to us, that we would come together as one, that we would know and grow in our fear of the Lord, in our worship of the Lord. And I think about this and I wonder, have we trusted the Lord to lead our hearts, our homes, our relationships? Or have we trusted in ourselves and our own desires to lead these things and then just simply said to God, oh, okay, come along with me. Okay, God, I'm going to do this with my life professionally and I just pray that you bless it. Okay, God, I'm going to make this decision for my home and for my family and I hope and pray that the Lord joins me. 
As Moses said, when he told the Israelites to choose life in Deuteronomy 30, he said, this is not too difficult for you. And for us here at IPC, here in Zurich, I want to ask, first and foremost, are we committed to the public reading of Scripture? Yes, on Sunday mornings. But what does that look like in the other six days of your week? Are we learning to fear the Lord? Not just so that we would fear the Lord, but that generations after us would feed the Lord, fear the Lord. Do we give generously in all circumstances so that others might know that we fear the Lord and that there is a God who loves them and desires to know them? And are all of these things we do, all of the efforts we have, all of the hard work we put in, all of the volunteer and service, are they leading to overcoming sensual indulgences? Are they leading to the overcoming and the triumph over sin? Or are they simply leading us farther down our own paths and desires? Is our worship and fellowship causing us to overcome sin? That's kind of a hard question sometimes. Because sometimes, and I know this sounds weird to say it, but sometimes we have two things that are just sort of going along the same way. We have our struggles and our sin that never seem to get better, and and we just keep worshiping, and we keep fellowshipping, and we just sort of think that, well, this is as good as it's going to get. That I'll always struggle with this thing, but as long as I'm helping and serving, as long as this is 60% and this is only 40%, I'll be okay. Church, that's not freedom. That's compromise. We do not worship a God who says, I have great gifts for you, and it is to compromise your future. We worship a God who says, I have great gifts for you, and it is you would be free. That this sin that so easily entangles us would be gone. And that our fellowship and our worship would lead and dictate all we say and do. We are indeed free, but only Christ will keep us free. The word of God that has become flesh and dwelt among us will keep us living in that freedom. In the same way God told the Israelites to get together and read the word is the same way God says to us, get with Christ every day. And not alone in your own study so that it's just for you. But an active participation in community. Because the word is communal. The word is for all of us. And in it we all find freedom. Christ has given us liberation. He is our liberator. And it is freedom to live. And as I mentioned before, this doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. Because we know that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So if we think of what we have done and we think, you know what, I've done well. I've done good enough. I've done better than others. (laughs) Then we are like Paul says in verse 18, we're just simply delighting in false humility. We are thinking to ourselves, hey, I've done good enough. I've done well enough. I'm fine. What we've done is we've lived in this idea of false humility and in doing so have told Christ that we don't want what he offers us. And we end up hurting not only ourselves but the people around us because our false humility creates division in the church. By focusing on on ourselves rather than focusing on Christ, we create division in his church. And so IPC, let me encourage us today for a couple of things. One is that we need courage We need courage to be completely vulnerable with one another and to share the gospel that we hold to be true, 
to live in a way that focuses on Christ each and every day. The focus is on the freedom Christ gives us each and every day. And then we need to have pride in that freedom. Not just pride that keeps it quiet for Sunday mornings and when it's convenient or when we're around Christian friends, but pride that lets the world know we are not ashamed. Pride that says, I have found freedom and I am not going to shut up about it. You know, I was thinking about this and one of the ways I see this, I'm going to confess to you something, right? I'll get the ball rolling. I really struggle with giving. I hear these prayers about, we want to be joyful givers. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like giving. You know, I'm kind of frugal. I think sometimes, you know, oh, well, that's fine. I could, I could find somewhere else. I could do something better. I could do, I want to be a joyful giver. Think about how you give. Maybe it's not giving. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's, you know, your talents, your service, whatever. But for me, it's money. And for me, this is one of the things that God is always working on me with. And it's an easy indicator for me to think about whether or not I'm really proud of the gift God has given me. Because if I am proud of the gift God has given me in freedom and in liberation, then like the story of the pearl of great price, I will be joyful to sell everything I have to attain that thing. Where do you need joy in your life? Where do you need pride? In, in, <laughs> where do you need to be proud of the gospel in your life? I love that story of the pearl of great price with a man who sells everything he has just to gain that treasure that God offers him. If we are fearful, or as Paul says, we have an unspiritual mind or living in false humility in verse 18, then we are hiding that gift we have been given. You know, the Apostle Paul sometimes says things that are really harsh, and other times he says things that are just fantastic. And recently, I've been very challenged by the book of Romans in my own life. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. When we examine our own life, when we think about freedom that Christ offers us, the result should not be keeping things hidden. The result should not be disunity. The result should not be, well, I'll give Jesus 90%, but keep 10. The result should be pride. I am proud of my Lord. I am proud of my freedom, and I will do all I can to share it. Because you have not just been freed from sin, but from fear of what other people think. We talked about this last week. You have been made free. You have been liberated. So be free. The only thing that holds us back is ourselves. The only thing that holds us back is our desire to hang on to our own sin and our own filth. The only thing that holds us back is our desire for control and power. Our worship has not glorified God and come from the heart if we only appear to be holy. Think of it this way. You remember the woman at the well? I love the woman at the well. In in John 4, she says, Jesus, let me ask you. This is my paraphrase. She says, let me ask you. Samaritans say to worship here. The Jews say to worship there. What's right? And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about the rules. Daughter, worship in spirit and in truth. 
And then if we worship in spirit and in truth, that water you're seeking at the well will never run out. I will give you water that will never run out. And you will be free and you will be liberated each and every day to go and tell people of your liberation and your freedom in Christ and you will be proud of it. Even though you have sin, even though you have shame, even though you have guilt from your past, you don't have to worry about it. You can be proud of who God has made you to be because true freedom is found by true worship to Christ and to know that we could joyfully give all we have because that freedom is the pearl of great price. When we are resting in the liberation of Christ, IPC, we will find freedom from our sin and we will find healing in our communities. Trust in the word as it guides us. Trust in the word of God. Take great pride in the gift we have been given to go into the world with this freedom and give the gift of liberation to this world. The freedom that we find in this room is the gift God offers all so that none of us might boast, but that we would all rejoice in our freedom. Can you pray with me? Lord, I am so grateful for your freedom. Lord, I am so grateful for the sin that you have conquered in my own life. And Lord, for those things I still desire to cling to, for all of us, for the things we still hang on to, Father, I pray that you would not only convict us, but that you would lead us to your freedom. Lord, that you would surround us with brothers and sisters in Christ who lift us up and do not put us down. Lord, that you would surround us with the truth from your scriptures that we would find life everlasting and that we would indeed, Lord, find freedom. Lord, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. And as we stumble along this path, Lord, I pray that we would not only do so together, but in a way that glorifies your name. God, we repent of our sin and, and, and we give it to you, Lord, knowing that you desire freedom for each and every one of us. That your cross promises us freedom for each and every one of us. May we rest in the promises you have set before us. Lord, may we rest in your grace. We pray this in the matchless, powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen.